hi, welcome to the pub. Glad you can make it. I think as you come in and, and have a seat, I realize that a lot of you have not actually seen the Raven and Thistle. So let me give you a, a, a description of, of where we're at and just to give you a mental picture of, of kind of where we're in. The, the, the pub is a rather small place, intimate, I think they would call it. Uh, you, you come in and you see a lot of overstuffed chairs, a small fireplace, uh, the pictures on the wall, covering the walls, uh, Edgar Allan Poe, Robert Burns, uh, lots of Celtic-themed stuff. There are album covers on the ceiling, uh, covering the ceiling, albums. For, for you younger folks, uh, album covers are those cardboard envelopes that records used to come in, and records were those big black discs that played the music your parents grew up on. The artwork on these album covers was fantastic and iconic. Sometimes I'll just sit here and stare up at the ceiling, remembering the music, which reminds me of better times. And there are books, books everywhere. Two large bookcases with volumes of works by Edgar Allan Poe and Robert Burns, as well as some other Scottish-oriented stuff. I love books. Books are a big part of the ambiance here in the pub. Everyone is certainly welcome and encouraged to pull a volume off the shelf and enjoy a poem or a short story from our two patron saints. I love actual books and, you know, not those new ebooks. Nothing wrong with them, really. I mean, my wife reads dozens of ebooks on her iPad. I just can't get into them. I love the feel of an actual book, the hard cover, the way the paper dust jacket keeps annoyingly slipping off when you're trying to read. I love the feel of the paper on my fingers as I turn the page and the subtle satisfaction of slipping the bookmark in between pages. I like the soft thud that the book makes when you drop it on the nightstand beside the bed. You just don't get that stuff with an iPad. Now, don't get me wrong. I have nothing against folks that e-read. Um, you're all welcome here, and I'll make sure you get a table near an outlet so you can stay plugged in. So you head over to the bar, and this bar has a really interesting history. It was made in France, and we brought this over from Europe specifically for the pub. The bar, the stools, the cabinets, all made in France. And rumor has it, and I can't confirm this, but it comes from a usually reliable source, that Toulouse-Lautrec, the famous French painter, actually fell off of one of these two bar stools. I know, hard to believe, but it's true, possibly, maybe. The pub has two taps, serving a rotating selection of fine, locally brewed craft ales and ciders. And hey, speaking of cider, let me give a shout out to the Gap Cidery. Uh, Gap Cidery is one of the most exclusive and sought-after ciders in Washington State. Made by hand with selected, organic, free-range, non-GMO, gluten-free wine sap apples from central Washington. The cider makers at Run Gap are dedicated, meticulous, mostly sober, and so very humble. You could run into one of these guys on the street and never know that they were the geniuses behind one of the most coveted hard ciders in all of the Pacific Northwest. Now, they don't have a tasting room, and their stuff is not available in stores. In fact, the Raven and Thistle is one of the very few places you can get this incredible cider. Uh, thanks, Gap, for making the effort this year in the middle of the pandemic and all. I think this batch that year is called Eve's Fault. Now, I'm definitely no religious scholar, but I think this goes back to biblical times when Adam and Eve were kicked out of the Garden of Eden because Adam bit the apple that Eve picked. Well, I have it on good authority that they were actually kicked out because they were making cider without a license. Yeah, it turns out that Eden's administrator at the time was a real son of a bitch, I guess. Anywho, if you're in the area during cider season, stop by, tell the bartender that you don't mind the gap, and they'll know exactly what you want. Behind the bar is the Raven and Thistle's pride and joy, nearly 100 different single malt scotch whiskeys. If you love single malts like I do, this is the place to be. Uh, if you're in the mood for a different spirit or cocktail, 
The auxiliary bar on the second floor of the Raven Thistle has a fully socked bar with a number of specialty gins and vodkas distilled locally at Scratch, our neighborhood distillery. So now that you have a good mental picture of where we are, can we all agree that 2020 has just been a real shit show? Feels like America's been under a national Dutch oven. Look that up in your urban dictionary for four fucking years now. With that asshole Trump's continuous verbal flatulence, it's a wonder that we're not more crazy than we are now. Oh, then COVID came. So sad with all the sickness and death and no real end in sight. Oh, and by the way, the entire West Coast is on fucking fire. So we have that to deal with. <laughs> Can we talk about something else? Anything else, please. The pub is not really a sports bar, but you know when folks come to the pub and start drinking, they like to talk about sports. So what the hell? Let's talk a little sports. Um, baseball. You know, I don't really follow baseball. I don't really even find it interesting or entertaining anymore. I used to. When I was a kid growing up in the Midwest, the big red machine from Cincinnati was taking names and kicking ass. Johnny Bench, Tony Perez, Pete Rose. Wow. Those are ball players. But now, who really cares? I guess the LA Dodgers won the World Series. Yay. What about basketball? This is a weird season with, with some kind of isolated bubble play in Florida and no fans. Um, well, if that's really the best way to, to do it, but your TV wants their big bucks so that basketball players play and I guess L.A. won the championship this year. Yay! Women's basketball. Hey, now, let's give it up for the local women's professional basketball team, national champions, again. Way to go, ladies. I remember that my daughter was one of the first women's NBA teams in the Cleveland area. Yeah, I know, it's Cleveland. But, you know, you play the hand you're dealt, right? We had great courtside seats. And I, I remember telling my girls, hey, watch these ladies. They can do anything a man can do out there. And now years later, I, I see that my daughters have grown up to be strong, confident, resilient young women. And I like to think that it all started at that basketball game. Possibly. Maybe. Soccer, or more properly, football, non-American style. The local team here is actually pretty good. And they have a great fan support. And it's one actually one of the few pro team sports that I've seen play live recently. So go Sounders. American football, the NFL. Yeah, sure. The local team now is hot and winning, and the fans are rabid. Hell, I heard that even the local prostitutes will give you a free blowjob if you wear a Seahawks jersey to the brothel. I watch some games, but I don't have seizures if I miss one. No fans, no fun. But seeing a 23-year-old kid with no college degree get an entry-level job making $30 million a year? What the fuck? Yeah, only in America. Hockey. I care less about hockey than I do baseball, but we're getting a team kind of a consolation prize for losing the basketball team here a decade ago. Just don't say the word Sonics around here or you're going to get a 30-minute rant from a basketball fan that just can't move on. NASCAR. Wait, what? That's not a sport. It's just hillbillies with too much money and not enough education. Well, you know, no sports talk would be complete without discussing the state of curling. The roaring game, uh, derailed this year by COVID, of course. Thank you very much. But curling here is big. We have more national champions from our club than any other club in the nation. When I curled, I routinely had my ass handed to me by folks that regularly won national and world championships. So it's not bad to lose when the world champion is kicking your ass. Enough about sports. You know, I, I do feel like the pub here has a great reputation for its admiration and support of women. And I want to start a regular feature here on this podcast, recognizing uppity women of the past. Now, let me explain what I mean by uppity women. For centuries, strong-willed, intelligent, assertive women have been labeled as uppity. Christ, I, I married an uppity woman and raised two uppity girls. 
shit, even my best friend, JJ, I, I can't really use his real name because I, I think he's on somebody's short list, NSA, DEA, ATF, hell, I don't know. It's not like he has a still in his garage or anything. Uh, anyway, JJ's wife is one of the most uppity women I know, a real classic uppity. So I've done some research on uppity women, and I want to share some of these with you right after the break. Uh, welcome back from the break. I had to run up to the bar and get another drink. I've got a nice 10-year-old Glen Devron single malt. The, uh, it's a nice northern Speyside malt. The, uh, Glen Devron is really kind of on the fringes of Speyside on the, on the northeast coast of Scotland, kind of on the on the fringes of where some of the world's greatest whiskeys are made. I love a Glen, Glen Devron. It's, it's one of my favorites, so it's one of my go-to whiskeys. Well, as promised, uh, I wanted to share with you some of my thoughts on on uppity women. And some of my research has uh, led me to ask why May 26th should be called Mary Montague Day. So let me tell you about Lady Montague. Quicksilver Lady Mary Wortley Montague lived B.E.J. before Edward Jennings. She's credited as a smallpox survivor. Uh, Jennings was, was merely putting his Wellingtons in the far-ranging footsteps of this outrageous intellectual while she was living in Turkey with her ambassador husband, Mary learned about the local custom of inoculating healthy folks against smallpox using a mild form of the live virus. In 1719, she brought this method back to England, immunizing her own daughter first. Later, she convinced the royal family to vaccinate others, including their own daughters. Predictably, doctors of the day hated inoculation, not that they had any solution for the 60 million smallpox deaths annually. But Lady Mary, herself a deeply scarred survivor of the disease, persisted. Uh, she was witty, literate, and great at networking. Uh, by the way, her 900-letter correspondence was later published. She was as an effective uh, fighter against any epidemic in popularizing the measure. Now, by the 1750s, uh, immunization had crossed the ocean and was saving lives in the American colonies as well. Now, although Mary became nearly as well-known for her saucy tongue and her international amours, her contribution to world health remains immense. By the time Lady Montague died in 1762, the death rate from smallpox had dropped from 30% to 2%, a legacy well worth honoring annually, don't you think? In these days of, of, of COVID infections, uh, I, it's important, I think, for us to remember uh, folks like Mary Montague. So uh, when May 26 rolls around next year, uh, uh, raise a glass to, to, to Mary. And don't you wish we had somebody like her now to lead the fight against uh, COVID? Well, it's time to go. Thanks for stopping by the pub. I uh, hope you can make it back again. Uh, winter's coming. The fireplace will be hot uh, and the booze will be flowing. So take care and have a great day. <laughs>